0: welcome to the authentic leadership podcast a five-part series from the reuters institute my name is rama sharma and i'm a journalist consultant and executive coach this podcast series is inspired by a quest i started some years ago whilst on a fellowship i was a senior editor at the bbc at the time i wanted to explore the idea of authenticity in leadership and whether or not it's possible for so-called minorities of any kind to be themselves and succeed in the workplace. Now the answers I gathered from leaders and research to this question have been fascinating and complex. In this series I'd like to share what I've learned, share some of those outstanding questions that are still in my mind and explore them with some brilliant media leaders from the Global South who have their own inspiring stories to tell as well. Today we are speaking to Rupa Jha, a highly accomplished journalist and media leader. Rupa was born and raised in India and currently leads the BBC's operations from the Delhi Bureau. It is incidentally the biggest BBC operation outside of the UK, with 250 journalists operating in seven different languages. She has also worked as the executive editor for the BBC Media Action in Nigeria. And as it happens, our paths crossed some ten years ago when we were both leaders in the BBC Delhi Bureau as well. Rupa, welcome.
1: Thank you it's so, so lovely. Yes, we have worked together and I always cherish those moments when you were here dear, working with us.
0: Oh <laughs> it's like, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, now you're, you know, you're the woman at the helm of um you know, very big operation, the BBC's biggest India operation. Um, at the start of your career, and, and I should say right now, there's a lot more women leaders in the Bureau than there were at the start. Tell us a little bit about those early days at first. You know, what was it like when you started?
1: So I, uh, I'm i an accidental journalist, to be honest. I never planned to be one, uh, but I was always interested in media. And uh, I'm born and brought up in India. And as you know, Rama. Having your own Indian connection and having lived here, that it is—it's um, not easy to be uh, a professional woman in India. It has become a lot better, but when I started, which was uh, way back, like almost two decades back, uh, it was a very different scene uh, at that moment. And when I joined BBC, which is right, um, the the organization, which is a dream organization, especially. For people like you know, uh, someone like me who comes from a region uh, in India where BBC stood for everything that one can imagine trust, credibility, news, everything it got defined, and ABC as a brand is still highly respected. I joined uh, under a woman leader, which again was uh, coincident because generally you don't find newsrooms in India, even today, led by women and let alone. Twenty years back, at that time in two thousand and one, BBC in India was a very small operation, tiny office we had. My initial, uh, kind of, you know, starting as a journalist with BBC uh, had its has its owner uh, had its own hiccups. I was not very sure. I felt uh, that you know, I, I was not meant to be here, and I think it came from the fact that you know, women in general uh, are made to believe that you are not good enough to be there uh, and it it is that unconditional training that we give ourselves that we are not so good and i suffered from that you know i suffered from that uh, lack of confidence lack of belief uh, lack of uh, belief that okay for a for for me to become a journalist to be a journalist i don't need a degree and BBC never asked for a degree you know like that whether you have studied journalism or not uh, which which i really loved and i was not a student of journalism i was doing history and i did law but all my colleagues most of them had come from you know journalism background they were they were television stars so i actually started on a, on an extremely uh, you know weak front i would say i was not feeling confident at all and then i had to come to london which was again a big cultural shift but yes it, I, I really can't complain. It has been a great learning experience. And when I look back, I really feel extremely happy, uh, for the organization that it gave me the space to grow and nurture myself for the kind of people that I met who helped me become what I am. And I, I, I love my current self. Uh, I feel that, um, you know, it has been a very fruitful, uh, and I'm full of gratitude. So it has been a very exciting journey to say the least. So at some stage, clearly your confidence must
0: have grown. So I'm kind of interested in what helped you grow in confidence. And, and also tell me a little bit about the barriers that you
1: faced. So as as a journalist, as a woman journalist in BBC, uh, though, I must tell you, which I mean, you already know, since you worked with BBC and we work together, that it is a kind of a, a bubble that we operate in. It, it's than you know, what we see outside the world and that's why it is one of the best place for women in India to work I feel because it is a different kind of organization it gives you that space having said that my initial thing was again as I said I didn't feel that I'm I'm good enough and I well I'll be honest I was also made to feel that I'm less uh, by my various colleagues and it so happens uh, that it was not done intentionally so my initial hardship was again making people believe that I deserve to be here uh, because a set of people hire you and then you have a different set of people with whom you work. Uh, so that whole process, uh, I had a different take on news. I have very different personality as, as a journalist. Um, I am not those one of those rough and tough, you know, that you want news person, journalist. Uh, even today, they are seen with a certain presence. There's a soft news approach there's a hard news approach so the whole orientation towards news also has changed and at that time it was all about you are a good journalist or you are a journalist of any worth if you really do these big geopolitical stories so on and so forth forth. so i think my initial hardship was about uh, acceptance that i am good to be here and i deserve to be here Uh, then my second bit was that you know oh am i capable to do hard journalism do i understand it enough do i have the political acumen uh, because you know if a journalist you are only worth it if you understand the geopolitics as i said um doing journalism with a small J, which i really think is extremely important because you know it, We need to understand what news stands for. And that's why women in general in news, as consumers also, we have very limited number of women coming to us because we don't do news keeping women in mind. It's all very macho, very manly. And I was kind of antidote to that. So I think those were my initial thing. Um, I'll say, Rama, that believe in myself, then making people believe in me, acceptance that I was different from the lot that was working, and that... My interest areas were no less important than others' interest areas. Yeah. So those were the initial initial um, uh, kind of, you know, obstacles, as I say, uh, in my journey. Yes, because by
0: the time I met you, you were a very um, established leader and well-respected. So I'm thinking about that gap between the work of gaining that acceptance and, and acceptance
1: of oneself. How how did you do that? So I, I think I... I had to first tell myself, I, I had to work on myself, uh, I had to believe that this has happened, this golden opportunity, which might not come to many people, has come to me. And I want to make most of it. I don't want to, uh, you know, let go of it. I don't want others to make me feel lesser of myself. So I started working on myself, I think, and, and with a lot of, um, it, it it didn't come easy uh, because there's a lot of difficulty. You. You crying your heart out. I was I was newly married. I left my husband back in India. He shifted to London. It was complete cultural shock to me. It was my you know first time ever in UK. And then you know at that time BBC was operating from Bush House. It had it had its own aura. BBC comes with it is an intimidating brand to a bad extent. You know for for a newcomer that you mind God. What if I, I I fail myself? So I think that transformation happens slowly. Uh, but what I really uh, loved about this place that there were people who could see what you are made up of, and they believed in you when, you know, when you when you started, when I started believing in myself and pushing myself, not letting uh, what people thought of me affect me too much. Of course it did, but then I, I kind of, I worked through it, I waded through that. And slowly and surely people started. Uh, you know, taking notice of me, my work, and what value was I bringing on table? Uh, one the the differentiated approach that I brought to news, the way I uh, approached a story or the way I presented it, uh, all of it started getting counted, which I uh, which gave me confidence, and then I started kind of being more confident, and uh, I also started uh, learning quite a bit. So I'll tell you, like you know, at that time, BBC Radio Hindi Radio was really the the big platform. Now we have become very digital focused, and that time it was radio, and then it was online. And I was one of the presenters. I wanted to be so good, um, and I I think hard work really pays, and it did pay in, in my in my case. I think uh, that I used to go back home or wherever I lived in in a hostel later on in in a home. Uh, I used to listen back to my programs. I used to take a lot of feedback. Uh, So I think anybody would do that, right? It's not about me being a woman journalist, but I think I had to work harder to get that acceptance. And when I started proving myself in the workspace uh, and with my, um, you know, I think uh, attitude of learning and then not getting offended very quickly, not easily, uh, not getting off, allowing myself... Okay, fine. Let people say whatever they want to say, but I'm here and I want to make it count. Slowly, I started gaining the confidence of my peer, of my editors, and uh, yeah. So, I think the the key factor is how much you believe in yourself. That I mean, it, it sounds like you did you know
0: you you did a lot of a lot of work as well, and and you know you talk very casually about the tears and and you know the hard work and and the resilience. I'm wondering where that comes from.
1: I think being a woman, especially anywhere, you know, anywhere in this world, being a woman brings that resilience to you, certainly. Because, and when you are in an India, when you come from from a place which is, I, I come from Bihar, which is one of the poorest state, and you know, you you grow up. I grew up in a very very modest family, and then it has been a journey of um, doing, you know, living with with less, always making. Um, fend, fending for yourself, uh, whether you are studying in college, so you know doing extra work to earn some money. Many people do that. I'm not. I'm not an exception. I think that resilience comes from your circumstances where you are born. Uh, you know your immediate circumstances. To when you know that when you when you want to dream big, when you are, when you are ambitious, when you have aspirations, then you know that it is not going to come on a silver platter because it's not. Uh, you have to really work hard for it, and you have to really make it count. So that resilience, resilience came because I didn't want to give up. I didn't want to give up because I knew that this is a very important opportunity for me to break that cycle where you know uh, you could be just manned off because you're not, you're not doing anything else or. Um, you could be just doing something where your heart doesn't lie and i loved i love the idea of being a storyteller i love being on air i love being you know working on stories uh i love being a broadcast journalist i think that love for the profession and uh that ambition to to be there and not let anything uh, come you know on my way uh gave me that resilience i think it is it came from there. I've seen most of the women very resilient. Uh, so I guess my gender really acted favorably for me <laughs> to give me that. I mean, it's funny you
0: say that because one of my big takeaways from my time in India was how extraordinarily resilient the women were. Um, and and that came from a place of, you know, I grew up in England and of, of course there's sexism and racism and what have you. But when I went to India I actually had a lot of sexism from everywhere, you know, whether inside or outside the office or and it would affect me and I would look at the women around me and it didn't affect them. It would sort of be like water off a duck's back to all the other women. Whereas if I was like aggrieved by what would, you know, you might call them microaggressions or, you know, things that that um you know, would be a kind of bigger deal in the UK, say, but, but weren't in India because, unfortunately, they're so common and they're so insidious. And, you know, I remember you saying to me is that when you've kind of experienced that your whole life since you were a small child, you know, it, you're, you're kind of hardened to it. Yeah.
1: You're right, Oba, and I and I, I think that this is the change that I'm seeing now, being being in this organization, working as a as a as a woman leader. That how much we gave in as a as a woman in in newsrooms. Not only about BBC, I'm talking about, but in general, as a woman, you just used to kind of, you know, we used to think, okay, just leave it. It's okay. No, this is how it is. Uh, as uh, you know, as time has gone by, I've seen, and I'm so proud to see that young women how much. Uh, they have stopped taking uh, this kind of shit. They have stopped saying no. They, they said as you were saying at that time that no, this is not okay. Um, I think the, the environment that I grew up uh, I saw my, my mother not saying no. I saw my, you know, like a lot of women that I saw in my circumstances not saying no and just kind of getting on with business, you know, getting things done, getting on with business. Uh, and that I am not at all uh, saying that was the right approach, but because you just have so little time for you know for things to get done and you just want to get onto something you know like new you don't want to deal with that and um, you feel that okay fine you know i'm going to rise above it and prove myself but i i am very glad that um, now i see my my colleagues my juniors here and Casual sexism or sexism at workplace is still quite rampant. Uh, it, it could be a little bit more hidden now, but they they take issues and they raise it, and and that has been the learning, that has been the journey uh, for women in general. I think in my when I was very young, and I I remember as I said, I saw my mother who got married at the age of 13 and then had like six children. Though I grew up in a very liberal family very supportive father. But at least, you know, but but, but still, uh, father was, was the power center for everything that happened. Um, when I faced, you know, severe sexual abuse as a child, I remember that, um, how much it was about, okay, let's move on. Of course, people were, you know, my, my near and dear ones were very concerned and uh, all of it, but it was like, okay, now, it's okay. It happens with, with most of the most of the girls uh, at that age, and when you grow up, you realize that that is so true. You start talking to anyone, and you hear those stories, but we never find the closure because it's always about just move on. It's okay, it's fine, and I think that is that also gives you a lot of that toughens you up definitely, but it also. Um, Makes you angry inside. When mm-hmm. I look back now, when I kind of think through it, I remember the the moment when I became extremely angry about why I why I always kind of no know let's move on, let's move on. It's it's great to be resilient, but it's also very important to start saying no to things and to kind of put a full stop in in, in any sphere of life that you are whether at home or at work as a as a team leader. Now I am a newsroom leader. And I know that it comes with the power and power transcends all kind of uh, gender division to whatever you a class division. Um, But when I was not, and I think I let go of a lot of things, which I'm not very proud of, I I, I think I would have, if I were a 20 year old now, I would definitely behave differently and negotiate my space differently. Um, But yeah, it has been a learning journey. And I think all of it has made me a kind of person uh, that I am. I feel extremely empowered now. I feel very confident now. So I think all of it has added to my experience of learning in that sense. You know, you shared something really personal and affecting and, and
0: you're also talking about a different time, right? Like I was thinking about why, why were some women not, as you said, calling things out or moving on from things. And, you know, despite being in England, you know, very much come from the same culture, where 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 my family is concerned. Um, it also strikes me that women have to make the choice about which battles they pick and how much energy they have in the day. And you know, because I remember my time in Delhi. If I had stopped every single thing or had to, you know, call out everything, a nothing else would get done, and b I'd be just utterly exhausted.
1: So there is some of that at play as well. Absolutely. I mean, that's what I said that, you know, there's just so much on your plate and you think, uh, okay, fine, let it be. Let's move on. Because you want to preserve your energy for things that are extremely important to you. And yes, uh, calling out sexism and calling out things which are not right uh, is extremely important. But sometimes it's just so much that's coming on to you that you just want to duck or you just want to forget and you just want to on. Uh, every time when you pick up a battle, it also wears you down. It also affects you. It's it's trauma that you live through. Um, and yeah, I I agree with you that sometimes it's, you know, you just choose to move and leave it, not kind of, you know, not pick up that battle.
0: By making those choices. I mean, like you said, now as a leader, you've got more power, more responsibility, and you're empowering your team to to call out things, and they they are feeling that they can too. So we've kind of moved on in society. Well, hopefully it's a lot less, and we've not, you know, had to, We're not having to make those kind of choices that perhaps we did ten years ago.
1: Absolutely. Just one point, Ramon, this thing, because this is so crucial that it is also about what is the system that is available for you to fall back on. What is the support that you get? And uh, clearly, so when I was growing up as a as a young journalist, um. Not only the the way society was, but you know, we also internalized a lot of things, and there wasn't um, so much awareness, so much kind of what you know, um, would you, you see that like there's no proactiveness about dealing with it, which it is now. and I in that sense, I, I guess uh, the support that our women colleagues have right now is much, much, much better. Within organization, outside organization, I think as a society, as as a community, uh, we have we have really moved on, and it had to happen with time. Yeah,
0: and that that is a relief. I mean, I still, you know, we still hear instances all over the world of of um, racism, and sexism, that is classism. You know, all all sorts of things that are still happening, and it makes me think about this question of rage. You know, you talked about being angry. How how have you processed your rage over the years?
1: <laughs> oh my God, what a lovely question and it just made me pause. I don't know if I have been uh Rama no, I'll be honest about it some sometime I do I have kind of you know just because you want to you want to achieve something else in your life you don't want your rage to be destructive, you don't want your rage you don't want rage to define you. You want to forgive, forget, and move uh, on because there's a lot of beauty and strength in, in doing that uh, because after all, it's just one life and you decide what you want to make of it. Uh, so I've realized in my own journey that just holding on to a lot of rage and bitterness and you know, not finding closure of various things uh, within made me more miserable made me more kind of, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't like myself in that phase. And therefore, I I thought that it is important that I do find that courage from within. I do find that dialogue with my rage that what will make me feel better. I mean, I don't want to uh, be a uh, person who's always angry, who doesn't like, you know, cannot see beyond this rage. Uh, and I... I, I, I made that choice of not being that person. Uh, and I, I'm glad that I did because, you know, I have a daughter now, she's 15. Uh, and I I think if I were just holding on to that rage and that anger, which is important, I mean, I'm not saying for a second that, you know, don't have that fire, don't have that rage within which, but it has to be of a balanced approach. You cannot let that fire rage burn you down, make you extremely bitter um it's very important that you move on uh, without without um you know like being timid about it but trying to negotiate with that rage and come out uh, in a way um, you know like winning over that rage uh, so finding one's closure is very important when you talk about your trauma when you share it when you write about it i i think i use my journalism to find uh, find way out of my rage whether it's against the kind of society that I live live in and I find that extremely you know, upsetting to see the kind of inequality we have the kind of, uh, you know, gender discrimination, the kind of uh, sexual harassment, sexual assault and all of it, it comes when you see that and when you find a way through your journalism to deal with that, it's it's a beautiful way of dealing it and I think I have used that as a tool to kind of you know come out of that and be at peace.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it felt like it. It felt like when you wrote about your, you know, the experiences that you've shared on the podcast and, and that that gave you a lot of power to own your own narrative and your own story. I really saw that. Um, and also it reminds me of a quote, I think it's Brené Brown that talks about that when you talk about something, there's no shame in it anymore. Whereas if we keep, keep things hidden, um, it festers a lot of shame and rage and self self-doubt, self-hatred.
1: Absolutely. I think uh, so beautifully you have put uh, and you've quoted, I, I I wanted to say that, that till the point you were, you know, you make that just kind of, you know, you hide it, you don't talk about it, you are giving the power to someone else to make you feel ashamed of that, to make you feel less about that. The moment you own it up and you decide to come out of it, uh, you just feel very liberated uh, and you just feel extremely in control of your own self of your own narrative of your own story and i uh, i think it's very important that we be the we be the core to the story we don't let anything or anyone else become the core to our stories uh, and i i always believed it that i will hold the narrative of what i am and who i am and what i want to be uh and being authentic is extremely important. I mean, I know that this whole conversation is around that authentic leadership. I think that has really been the core to what I always believed in. That what kind of um, leader inspire me, and authentic authenticity came as the top, you know, virtue, the top quality that I looked for. And I always felt that uh, there's no, there's no two ways about. Uh, this particular aspect of leadership or or a personality that you be real you be authentic and that is so beautiful that is also very endearing it also connects you to your audiences and to your team to your surrounding to your family i think that's extremely important well it feels like a perfect space uh, a perfect
0: place to end our conversation Uh, Rupa, thank you so much for being so open and honest and authentic with us uh, today. And um, we look forward to catching up with you soon in the future. I'm really struck by Rupa's drive, which clearly comes from this place of wanting to transcend her personal circumstances. Her attitude of gratitude despite her hardships, is equally very inspiring. And the last thought I had is that isn't it interesting how the very things that can hurt us or the things that can feel unjust, when endured, are the things that also create resilience. And then there's the question of, well, what do you do with that resilience? Do you use it to fight the very injustices that have hardened you? Or do you use that finite resource to be creative instead? I'm guessing the answer to that might be personal or maybe it's somewhere in between. I'll leave you to decide. In the meantime, if you want to catch up with all the other inspiring stories we have to share with you as a part of this authentic leadership series, do head to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you don't want to miss any news from the Reuters Institute, sign up to our weekly newsletter from our homepage or Twitter bio. Thank you so much for joining us.